Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm Dave Selecki. And I'm Dale Spangler. This week on Pit Pass Moto, we have editor-in-chief and founder of RacerX Illustrated, Davey Coombs. This week, we're rolling out a new feature here on Pit Pass Moto that we'll use from time to time to provide a focused conversation about a chosen race from the weekend. Dubbed the Pit Pass Weekend Watch, Dave and I will choose a race to watch over the weekend and then bring you our observations of that particular race. Races can be anything from World Superbike to AMA Supercross to MotoGP, MXGP, and everything in between. This week's weekend watch is the MXGP of Lombardia, round 17 of 18 in the MXGP series. This week's weekend watch is the MXGP of Lombardia, round 17 of 18 in the series. Dave, what are your thoughts on this weekend's MXGP in Lombardia. So much action going on. Tensions were high. The atmosphere was absolutely electric. Capacity crowd going crazy. I noticed that there was fans, you know, from what uh, announcer Paul Mallon mentioned, fans traveled from Slovenia for Geyser and France for Febra and Netherlands for Hurling. So the uh, it was just uh, absolutely electric atmosphere at this weekend's race. Yeah, for me, honestly, it was the action on the track that was just killer. Romain Faber, I think, took that first moto and used it as a statement. It was great to see, and I've really looked forward to see him kind of come into his own in the series, and he's really, he's clinging to a small lead. It's only three points over Hurlings, who rode strong all day and took the overall, but I think, really, he's got to be inside Hurlings head a little bit, and by winning that first moto and going 1-2, on the day, he's, he just looks strong. And I, I'm really, I can't wait to this last round, which is coming up November 10th, where they're going to go to final battle. And it's really amazing to watch an 18-round series come down to really a one-race series at the end of the day is what it's going to be. Yeah, it's pretty incredible that there's only three points separating Hurlings and Febra. Unfortunately for Tim Geiser, he took himself somewhat out of the running for the title after a mishap in the first moto where he was you know, pushed off the track in the first turn, and he re-entered the track where he thought was a safe place, but he was docked five positions, and therefore he drops to 15 points down on the championship lead, which uh, Febra retains coming into this Wednesday's race. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if team orders come to play in this uh, final round. We've seen it from KTM. We're starting to see it from Honda and Kawasaki, where Honda brought Ruben Fernandez up from the MX2 class. And likewise, Kawasaki did the same with Mathis Borome. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how, you know, team orders come about and uh, how this final round goes down. Yeah, and I actually wouldn't blame KTM for trying to do something to to kind of tilt the tables in their favor. And I'm not against it because, look, there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot at stake here in a championship uh, 
not just bragging rights, but uh, just for the brand, I think it's a good thing. And it almost looks like there's going to probably be some type of team tactics in MX2 also, where I think uh, Yamaha might try to help Yago Geertz get that second place finish over uh, Tom Vial. There's only seven points between those two riders. And Vial's been strong, you can't deny. I mean, he's been he's gotten, I think, 21 hole shots this year out of the series, which is amazing. Always up front. But, uh, you know, Geertz, he's strong. And uh, I guess I wouldn't blame Yamaha for kind of trying to do the same thing as KTM and help that guy move up the ladder. No, you can't blame them, really. I mean, the, with the competition level so high right now in MXG, MXGP and in, in both MX1 and MX2, you know, team orders, you know, might have to come about, you know, these, uh, with again, with the pace so high, passes becoming more difficult. For a guy like Tom Viel, it's kind of the the what if, you know, if he wouldn't have been injured there in the, the mid part of the season, who knows where that title would be. But as you mentioned, Maximino's already wrapped it up, and now it looks like Yamaha's probably going to try and uh, – land Yago Geertz in the second position for a Yamaha 1-2 sweep. Yeah, and Yamaha's been winning a lot of titles in 2021. So, you know, they've already got that MX2 series. So why not see what else they can do? And uh, one of the things that I really take away from uh, this event and other events that have happened in MXGP is economy of scale, where they combined events at the same venue, two to three events at the same venue to, uh, to keep the riders in the paddock. Uh, not traveling as much, and I think kind of keep the COVID situation a little bit more under control. So it's interesting to see, and and I would like to gather your thoughts also, Dale. And I know they've done the same thing in the U.S. uh, last year. They haven't done as much this year. So uh, I kind of wonder what your idea is about that. Yeah, I kind of think that that might be a direction of, you know, that these series end up going in the future just out of necessity. You know, it it does make things easier, easier logistically, you know, a lot of these places that are starting to go to stateside and and in Europe tend to be, you know, like old car racing tracks where they have the facilities to be able to have the motorcycles there. They have garages in some cases. Some of the tracks, of course, don't. But I do think that that uh, that might be something that they're going to have to uh, do for the for the immediate near future because it's just you know being able to have three races and within a matter of a seven to 10 day period certainly helps the series keep going. And obviously it's, it's probably saves costs as well. You know, with it being a world series getting around the world right now, isn't very easy. And so uh, I think that it's, they're doing what they have to do and it, and it seems to be working for them right now. So final thoughts are great series. It's one of the best series in MXGP I've seen in a very long time. The level of competition's high. You've got multiple world champions competing for that final title and it's going to come down to one final race possibly the final moto which would be amazing so uh hats off to mxgp for what they've done for motocross in europe and and really around the world really looking forward to to 2022 This week's industry spotlight. We'd like to talk about the uh, MIC, the Motorcycle Industry Council, is making big changes to the AIM Motorcycle Expo, which is the American International Motorcycle Expo, which is really the trade show that took over the power sports industry several years back, tried to make it more of a public offering. They are now going back to a trade format going into the new year. 
And they've also made another major change where they've moved the date of the event into uh, January, which is early in the year rather than October, late in the year. So getting feedback, I, I know a lot of the people I talk to in the industry, that was a wise move because that is really the beginning of each new season. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out as they go trade only. We'll see how that shakes out for the industry. Yeah, it's great seeing that back after a couple year hiatus, obviously with COVID, you know, causing some issues there. And then, of course, the event being in Las Vegas in January, which, which as we know, can be good and bad being in Vegas. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be interesting. Like, like you said, they went back to that traditional January date where they, they used to have the show when it was, you know, back when it was in Indianapolis and before that, Cincinnati. Yes, showing my age here. But yeah, I think it's going to be really good. I think it's it'll kick off the year for everybody, kind of sets the tone for the rest of the industry throughout the year. I've heard they're going to have some fun events, uh, like an opening night party and some flat track racing going on. So I think it's going to be a, a pretty fun, entertaining trade show, and it's going to be great to for everybody to see each other and you know shake hands again. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This week's Moment in Moto History, we'd like to talk about the Paris Supercross. Now, that uh, event started back in 1984, and for the 2021 season, I want to call it the Vet Fest version of Paris Supercross because they've invited riders you wouldn't expect. Chad Reed has been invited out of retirement to attend the event, and they've also uh, asked Antonio Cairoli to join the Paris Supercross, which takes place November 27th. Antonio is a little hot. He's uh, had a great season. He's won motos and, and um, events in MXGP this year, so he's in perfect shape to go out there and battle it out. Chad Reed is coming off the couch to go to the racetrack, and that'll be interesting to see how he prepares and, uh, and makes it to that event because it's short notice. But really, if there's ever a gamer in Supercross, it's Chad Reed. You can never count that guy out. I don't care how many years he takes off the bike, so... Really interesting and a long story, uh, great history with that event. And we uh, we really look forward to seeing some of the names they're bringing out. They've invited Romain Fabra, Justin Brayton, Marvin Muskin, Cole Seeley's coming out of retirement, and even Ryan Sipes, Mr. Do-It-All, the guy who won uh, the biggest outdoor off-road event in the world, the ISDT, and also Josh Hill. So it ought to be interesting to see these guys do battle. Yeah, it's quite an eclectic mix there of riders, as you pointed out. And uh, it's interesting to see Antonio Cairoli kind of put a cap on the end of his career there by by going to Paris. In a way, I guess it'll sort of like be a you know sort of farewell tour for him, and might not be his forte riding Supercross. But I think you know it will be. I'm imagining it'll be a, a good time for him to be able to just be in front of the crowd and kind of like I said, one last send off. And as you mentioned, Dave. Chad Reed, you can never count him out. I'm sure there's a ton of muscle memory going on there. He'll be back on the bike and probably ride for a couple of weeks and be uh, 
he'll be right in there again. So yeah, looking forward to that. Like you said, some some fun riders. Ryan Sipes, Josh Hill, Marvin Muskan, Cole Seeley, all those guys. I think it's going to be fun to, to tune in this year. So looking forward to that event. We'd like to welcome to Pit Pass Moto today, Davey Coombs. He is the editor and founder of Racer X Magazine and also president of MX Sports. Davey, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Talk about uh, this 2021 MX season uh, is behind us. And uh, all things considered for you, who uh, who manages the event and your team runs the events, the action on the track was just amazing. One of the best seasons we've seen in a long time. What's your take on how MX uh, went this summer? Well, that's a, it's, a, it's a pretty broad, broad question. Um, I, I would say that, you know, one of the things that we learned sort of by accident in 2020 was that uh, when the whole world is threatened with, uh, this is it, this is the last thing you get to do, a lot of people went out and bought dirt bikes. A lot of families got back in touch with going to the races and going, hanging out in the van on the weekend because, you know, there's no better way to social distance than doing it with dirt bikes. Even though we had limited crowds and uh, there were allowed to be at the events in 2020, the enthusiasm was through the roof. Then things started to open up in the spring of 2021. And, uh, you know, we got lucky in a way that our friends at Feld, that run Supercross, did not. There were still a lot of restrictions and limited capacities and, you know, a lack of fan interaction and whatnot. Outdoors is a different animal altogether. And by the time we started up in May, it was like we were in a new normal and it was a wonderful normal. You know, we were very lucky with the weather. Like you said, we had really compelling racing and we had massive crowds and it was just a, a really good time to spend the summer being at the races. And um, my fingers are crossed that it rolls right through 2022, that everyone stays healthy and, and things open up even more from when we get back inside the stadiums. And then who knows, maybe 2022 will be the biggest year ever for Lucas Oil Pro Motocross. Yeah, let's hope so. It's going to be hard to top 2021 because I agree with everything you said about the enthusiasm and you can see it in the size of the crowds and, and the interaction with the fans and how well it went. And honestly, credit to you guys and your team. I think you were very well prepared for how things rolled out in 2019 or 2020, excuse me, into 2021. You guys had a pretty good script to follow. And I think that showed in how things were executed this year. So uh, hats off to you guys. Much of the credit for that goes to my sister, Carrie Russell, and also Tim Cotter and Roy Jansen. And, you know, when, when, when things went sideways for our industry, uh, as far as the pandemic goes, it was in between the 2020 Daytona Supercross and in Indianapolis the next week. And if you remember correctly, they canceled Indy on, on the eve of the race. And uh, I remember my sister getting us all together on a Zoom and saying, we have to figure this out on our own. We have to figure out the best way to approach this whole issue, and we have to convince people that we are safe to go racing again. So we built this Safe to Race Task Force along with you know folks from NASCAR, uh, the AMA, Feld, various other racing entities, you know, motorcycles, bicycles, everyone, and and just talked about how you know when things did open back up, how were we going to position ourselves and help convince a local community that it was okay to let some motorcycle riders and their family come to town and 
you know, practice all the, the proper restrictions. And, and so, yeah, that was the playbook. And it worked really well, despite, you know, not being able to have as big a crowd as anyone wanted. But it did serve us perfectly for when things lightened up this season. But, you know, we, we still had to make some, some real, uh, I want to say, sacrifices. We, we couldn't have a lot of fan access to the pits. Because whereas, you know, we may be an outdoor recreational motorized activity, which, you know, is much different than, say, going to a basketball game in an arena, the people in the paddock, you know, the people with the OEMs, the teams, those are big corporations. And because a lot of them are based in California, they had some real, you know, heartache and, and, and concern about traveling out of state. I mean, anyone who's flown an airplane in the last 18 months knows what a pain that is. And so we, we were really diligent with keeping all the rules and restrictions in place because that's what the OEMs needed. That's what we needed from, from one another. And we made it work. And hopefully the things that we did will carry the sport for a couple of years to come because, like I said, my, my sister was the one who said, whatever we do when we have this downtime that we didn't expect, that will shape who we are when we come out of it. And I think that the racing and the events and all the promoters and certainly the, 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 the platform itself has never been better. And that's because we didn't take that idle time to just sit and wait and worry. We put our thinking caps on and went to the drawing board and came up with some common sense ways to get back out on the racetrack. Hey, Davey, you recently wrote in your the latest issue of Racer X in your column, Reason for Being, that when the checkered flag fell on the last moto, of this year's Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championship, it came with a big sigh of relief from you know people on the infield and out on the track. Um, tell us a little bit about that statement, and you know how difficult was it logistically to pull off these races every week? Well, they all have to do is go back to to twenty twenty, you know, and think about what happened with Supercross. And no one's wildest dream did they ever think that the Supercross was, series would end over a twenty two day sprint through Salt Lake City seven different times. But that's what they had to do in order to get that series in and to have a, a, a compelling championship that did not lose its heritage. It's, it's, uh, there's no asterisk to 2020. And this year is the same way. You know, in motocross last year, we, we couldn't go to Washougal. We couldn't go to High Point, which is my backyard, because, um, you know, I'm talking to you guys from Morgantown, West Virginia. And Dale, you know this. High Point is three miles up the road, but it's on the other side of the state line. And West Virginia is in a much different situation than Pennsylvania as far as, you know, how every state was doing its own different thing. And so last year, we were only able to have nine events, including doubleheaders at Loretta Lynn's, doubleheader at Redbud, and we were able to just get under the wire. We were much more optimistic this year, and we had a really good series going in both classes as far as the racing, many different winners, not knowing, you know, it wasn't like Ricky Carmichael was out there and it was a preordained conclusion who was going to win. I mean, it was, it was every moto was exciting. And we just didn't want to get hit with that out of the blue strike of lightning or all of a sudden there's a breakout in the pits uh, or all of a sudden one of the you know, top riders gets sick. I mean, believe me, we had several riders have to pull out a time or two when they tested positive, no different than what you're seeing right now in the NFL or you know, the NBA or really any other sport. That sense of relief was like, man, we made it under the wire two years in a row. And when this thing's done, 
and we can really get back to just being really creative and really focus on the product itself and not the very survival of a series, man, I think we're in for some really good years of racing because believe me, we went from the Safe to Race Task Force to the uh, Rider and Racer Retention Task Force because, you know, the motorcycle industry, and I hate to use this term, but if there's a silver lining to 2020 and 2021, it is that it turned things around in motorcycle dealerships at local racetracks, in the BMX and in the e-bike and mountain bike industries, and certainly for motocross in general. The lessons that we learned and the, the ways that we learned to roll our sleeves up and get creative uh, and think outside the box, I think that's going to that's gonna serve us moving forward, not just motocross, but arena cross, supercross, GNCC, everything that we're involved in. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more, and it's good to see. And, and honestly, with that in mind, kind of take a step back, with a guy like you who's got his hand on the pulse or his finger on the pulse of the industry and the sport, where do you see it headed next? You know, I see a lot of activity with e-bike. You mentioned uh, the Stasics. Where's the next generation coming from? How do you see that developing? Right there. The answer is in the question. The gentleman who came up with the Stasic, uh, Ryan Raglan or whatever his name is, uh, man, there's a place in the Hall of Fame for him for what he brought to the table which was an inexpensive, easily accessible, quiet, techie form of motorcycling that people who don't like motorcycles might not even look at it as a motorcycle. Some of the best commercials I've ever seen in our sport is when you see you know, the Christian Craig's kids and Travis Pastrana's kids and Chad Reed's kids all out on Stasics. And, and, and you know that they're not sponsored. Those are parents that bought Stasics. That's been a shot in the arm. The e-bike thing is another wildly unexpected thing. I, I didn't realize how well, when I say e-bike, by the way, I'm not talking about electric motorcycles. That's coming. I promise you that's coming. But the e-mountain bikes and, and, and those things have proliferated at the races, whether it's GNCC or pro motocross or motocross. And, and I think that also serves as a, as a bridge, but a, not a bridge to you know little kids who want to race, but, you know, their mom or dad doesn't know how to tighten a chain or, you know, tear down an engine, they can go ride those bikes in the park and no one's going to blink because, you know, they don't have the stigma of noise and combustible engines and all the things that might shut you out of a, of a, of a local park or forest or whatever. With the e-mountain bikes, they're coming from a different place. There are people who may have always been interested in motorcycling, but only rode bicycles and now they get a little taste of that throttle and, and, that, and that assisted power or whatever you want to call it. And, and they're coming out in droves as well. So I think those are two things that make me optimistic. The other thing, and this is probably a much deeper or more business-oriented um, you know, answer, is that the motorcycle dealerships, and Dale, you would know about this probably even more so than I, they all stabilized. They touched rock bottom probably in 2018 and 2019, first part of 2020, and things started to really turn around. And, and I have friends who've worked in the industry since 2012. And the kid works at uh, one of the clothing companies now. And he goes, this is the first time I've ever been part of a boom. It's always just been gradually going down, going down, going down. And now all of a sudden, we, we can't keep product on the shelves. We, we're getting calls from all over the world. It's just a wonderful time. And I think that we all are so grateful 
for having this sort of optimism, you know, back to that silver lining that that everyone I think is going to work together in ways that were probably we weren't happening the last couple of decades. I, I think you'll see a lot of um, people working together, whether it's indoors and outdoors or this association or that series. It already had started before the pandemic, but now I think that we all see collectively that that um, that, that that rise in tide already. You know, all the ships will go up a little as long as we don't start you know doing stupid things. And I, I think everyone's everyone's guardedly optimistic. A very high price to pay what 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 happened to the world the last eighteen months. But now that we're coming out of it, let's let's come out of it on the gas. Yeah, I think that's some great points you make, Davey, about, I mean, it's probably, it's pretty easy to just, you know, look at the negatives as a result of COVID. But for us in power sports, as you mentioned, obviously dealers are, you know, it's blowing up to where dealers can't even keep products in, you know, in stock, whether it's, you know, new models or aftermarket accessories. But, you know, to kind of go back, one thing I really, really honed in on that you, that you, that I seem to, you know, gather from what you're saying is, is there's been a lot of positives especially like on the creative side, like there's been a lot of creativity come out of this situation to where it's kind of putting you in this situation where you have to be nimble on your feet and be able to react. And so I think it's, it's kind of, it's, it's interesting to see how, like you're saying, everybody's working together more. There's more creativity. There's definitely some positives that came out of this period too. Yeah. And, and I, I, I agree. And, you know, whether you're promoting a race or, or, or getting ready to, you know, start a website, or you want to do your own brand uh, of T-shirts or whatever, because we spent so much time indoors and learning new tools because we had to. I mean, talking on a Zoom, I thought Zoom was like a kids' TV show until about 19 months ago. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea you know, that we'd be conducting so much of our lives over uh, you know digital conference calls and and um, the world may have been in trouble, but it was not going to stop spinning. And we all had to keep working and, and, and fight hard to keep our jobs and fight through layoffs and, you know, lack of crowds. And it's one of those things where I guess you're, you're forged by the fire that you're in. And this was such a, a unique, but absolutely omnipresent fire. I mean, we were all in it together. That I think that, that, that we're, we're all coming out of it together now. Uh, at least in the motorcycle industry, and, and I really feel that uh, that, like I said, that behooves us well moving forward. But we 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 should not try to reinvent the wheel because no one tried to reinvent the wheel in the spring of 2020. We just tried to keep the wheels on moving uh, and turning, and we're still there. But it's gotten a lot easier. I think they, we've got, um, pardon another pun, but we've got there a cliche. We've got the wind at our sails. That's a sailing cliche, right? Yeah, I think it is, and that that definitely fits. But I think the the takeaway word is adaptable, and uh, and and I think anybody who isn't adapting is going to suffer, and the ones that have have been successful. And I think with that in mind, I guess my next question is: uh, a guy at your level in the sport, and you've got a lot of peers in event management, in, in, in uh, all sorts of motorsports. Do you get opportunities to meet and talk with the Wayne Rainey's of the world, the Luangos of the world? Do you guys, you know, compare notes and come up with creative new ways to share and, and grow the sports together? That's also a good question. And, and the timing's interesting because there was a time when, when we looked at folks like 
youth stream or what's called in front now is is a as a real threat and competitor and and they they kind of were but you know after a few false starts here and there and uh, they they decided you know what we're we're we understand that the situation in America is different and complicated because of the presence of supercross because of uh the 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 focus of the OEMs and you know our guys just didn't want to do more than x amount of races and you know instead of trying to do three or four USGPs they got down to well we'll just maybe every now and then try one and you know try to get the designations in America every 3 and 4 years but we want you to help and you know we'd never been asked to help this was a couple years before the covid thing hit on the eve of covid and i mean quite literally at Daytona, uh, we also had a meeting with Feld Motorsports, and we found that the the detente that we had with Infront uh, and, and MXGP in Europe, which allowed us to to assist them and them to assist us and kind of root each other on, and you know instead of fighting over the same small thing, think about you know making it better for everyone. We had that same conversation with Feld, with uh, Todd Gendro and, and Dave Prater. They were incredibly open to sort of same thing, like instead of, you know, worrying about dates and this and that, whatever, let's just settle with what we got and and improve it and work together. That was probably lucky or serendipitous that these things all came together before the proverbial shit hit the fan. But it placed us to a point where like, hey, what are you guys going to do? How can we help? Hey, we need this. Can you help us here? Can, Can we do that? And now the landscape is changing back to where we were in 2019 as far as the global uh, situation. But the motocross situation has never been in a, and I believe, a more settled, cooperative phase because we, we, we all had to adapt together. We just happened to already have gotten on the carousel, grabbed our seats and started having that conversation about how we can make things better. And, you know, I think the the fruit of it is to see how good I believe that, that Lucas Oil Pro Motocross was this year, how amazing the MXGP series is that's literally going down to a winner-take-all final. And I think that we're in for the biggest year ever for Supercross because, you know, I got to give the folks at Feld credit. They've had a series for two years with limited spectators, and, and it's been very difficult, and I guarantee you they've lost money. But they continue because they want to keep the integrity of their series, the heritage of the championship, and make sure that they're they're there and ready to go when when things really get back to normal for enclosed stadiums. And uh, if you look at a football game right now, it looks pretty good for January. It, I, I think the Supercross, like I said, is going to be back bigger than ever, and we couldn't be happier for them. And we're more than willing to help them tell their their story. And it's just, it's going to be a successful one. Hey, Davey. So here you are, 20 plus years in later after starting RacerX Illustrated Magazine. I remember the days when it was just a, you know, a newspaper starting out. Wow. Magazine's still going. You know, you've seen magazines come and go. You know, what's it been like, you know, having that magazine for this long? And, um, you know, how, how much have you seen the media landscape change in those years? There's not enough room on the internet to describe how how much the media business has changed, but uh, you know, and I appreciate that. We got we got really lucky. Even before we made it a magazine in 1998, we decided to check out this idea of a website, and um, 
when the whole thing began to flip, you know, in the middle OOs or whatever, where, where people, you know, started to use their phones and, and, and the World Wide Web became much more accessible to everyone, people started to consume their media differently. We knew we had to, you know, keep trying to ride whatever wave came along next, whether it was YouTube or social media or, you know, streaming. But the whole time, the magazine stayed there. And we'd always decided that the magazine was the flagship of sort of what we were doing with media. But now it's honestly become like a legacy piece. I don't know that we have a lot of readers, you know, 12 and under, just as I don't think a lot of kids watch television anymore as we knew it. I always make the example uh, or bring up the example that, you know, my son Vance is 19 and my daughter Sloan is 14. And I don't think in their collective lives they've ever watched a weekly show at 9 p.m. on a Thursday because it comes on at 9 p.m. on a Thursday. They watch it on their own. They watch it in their phones. They watch it when they want. They watch it with their friends. That's a huge change in, in how kids and people in general consume media. But the one thing they do still like to watch live and immediately is sports. So, you know, we're, we're, we're in a good position as far as people wanting to still get their content, whether it's on linear TV or streaming, as far as motocross goes. But as far as the magazine, the, the hardest part is finding newsstands anymore. A newsstand feels like trying to find a payphone in the city. Uh, <laughs> they used to be everywhere. But you know, we, we were lucky that we have different ways of distribution, the way we do our subscriptions, the way we work with dealerships, racetracks, and everything. There may not be a lot of newsstands out there anymore, but we're still getting the magazines out to everyone, and it's still humming along, and very proudly so. And we're, we're very happy to see it. That's definitely the one we look forward to every month. And uh, just shifting gears one last time, Davey, I know one of your hobbies, we see it on social media, is sign jousting. We talked about it a little bit uh, before we went on air and uh, just want to get your take on uh, on that subject. I know you're a big fan of, I guess, like I'd call it Americana and, and just some of the old signage that you see that you collected pictures. Well, it, it's really funny you bring that up because... Um, I was talking this weekend as I was driving over to Honda Hills uh, with my mom and my friend Roy Jansen, who's worked with us forever. Dale, you'll remember this. Honda Hills was a, a grand old track about halfway through the middle of the state of Ohio, right along Interstate 70. It was holding major events in the 70s. Then it went away. Then it came back. Then it went away. You never knew. Then it was abandoned. But the one thing that was always there was the Honda Hills sign. And you could see it through the trees at mile marker 139, but you had to know where to look. And it sort of became like, anytime I'd be going to like the Indianapolis Supercross or Redbud or to the AMA in Ohio, I would look and see if that sign was still there. I really think that kind of became the, the muse, so to speak, for my passion for old signs, because I figured as long as that sign was holding on, Honda Hills still had a chance to come back. And uh, lo and behold, this weekend it did. And Dale, when you come back home, you'll you'll love getting back out there. But uh, whenever I started my family and I was traveling and doing stuff for ESPN and all that, I just started looking at old signs and and taking pictures and sending them to my kids to say, hey, you know, this is what I saw today. It was a, it was a way to tie road trips together. 
And then Instagram came along and there was a way to share them without having to go buy film or anything. And uh, here I am. I've, uh, you know, even when I went to Honda Hills for their grand reopening, I took a few old cuts on Route 40 to see an old neon sign, make sure it was still there, take some photos. It, it's just, it's like a scavenger hunt. Instead of just driving down the interstate and hanging out in the hotel room, I take the 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 roads less traveled and and uh, piece my trips together as if it were a scavenger hunt. You know, in a way, it creates those memories too, just like a photo album, I guess would. You can go back and look at it and go, I remember seeing that when I went by there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a photo album with all without all the work. <laughs> yeah, there you go, and it's posted on the internet, so we can all check it out. Honestly, Davey, we could talk for hours with you. I know you're a busy guy, and we won't take up any more of your time. And uh, First of all, we wanted to thank you for spending time with us today. And most of all, just me personally, I want to thank you for carrying the torch for uh, just pro motocross and amateur motocross in the States. Uh, You and your family and your team have really done just so much for the sport, and we appreciate it. And uh, I hope you realize what that contribution means. If you want to take a last few moments to thank anybody or mention where to find you or or your companies uh, on the web or social media, now would be the time to do it. There's www.racerxonline for coverage of every race and every sport as far as dirt bikes go, mostly motocross and supercross, of course. Then we have promotocross.com for the uh, 12 race Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Series. And then we have Loretta Lynn MX. Uh, no, wait, that's the social media. Then we have mxsports.com for uh, Loretta Lynn's. And then all the social medias, it's, it's not real difficult. At Pro Motocross, at RacerX Online, at Loretta Lynn MX. And, and if you're just a sign dork and like old neon things and uh, abandoned structures, uh, my personal Instagram is DC RacerX. And um, I sure appreciate the kind words. I, I'm, I knew number 162 there next to you uh, since he was uh, Team Green Kid. Uh, actually, didn't you start on a YZ, Dale? Yep, started on a YZ80. Yeah, it's a forever. And, you know, I'm so lucky. I think anyone in this industry is so lucky that you get to work with the friends that you grew up dreaming and racing with. And, you know, when you race dirt bikes, and if you're a motorcycle enthusiast, there's always a home for you. There's always a place to go at a local race or get on a bike and put on a helmet or go visit this you know, website or that Facebook group. And dirt bikes are such a big part of our lives that when you have a job in the industry, it makes it really easy to get up in the morning and go to work because there is no better job. It doesn't pay as well as I think we'd all wish, but um, it is, it, it, it's a it's a lot better than mine and coal. And I live in West Virginia, so I know exactly what that means. <laughs> there you go. We always say it's the industry we love but it doesn't always love us back. Davey, thanks again. We appreciate you coming on today, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you again to our guests for being with us today, and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review us. We really appreciate it. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog. 
This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, Chris Bishop, producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineers Sean Rule Hoffman and Eric Coltnow. Hi, I'm Dave Sulecki. And I'm Dale Spangler. See you next week. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.